I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to All Starts That We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Martin Riley, the overworked 17-year-old styler of the podcast. I'm going to play another 90 minutes here, aren't I? And finally, I'm joined by the underworked bench warmer of the podcast, who is thinking he might take up knitting. It's Dan Holdsworth. Dan, how are you? I'm pretty good, and I think at my age I should be underworked, so that's fine. Yeah, that works, that works. Um, yeah, have you, have you had anything to eat yet? I have. I'm very lucky my boy today. Um, my wife was off work, so she made a roast pork dinner because we didn't uh, Sunday roast style on a Monday night, which Ooh. is outrageous. Yeah, that was really good as well. Cracked in the lot. So there we go. That sounds good for a Monday night. I had a, yeah, yeah. I, I had a roast dinner yesterday, but I don't often get one on a Monday. Um, I, yeah. I've not eaten yet. Um, it's too, too early for me to eat. I normally eat about eight-ish. So yeah, I'll be having mine after the pod and having some spicy chicken burgers with some nice oh, with some homemade chips. So yeah, looking forward good. to those. But yeah, um, we're not here to talk about food, even though we do every single time. Um, we're <laughs> here today to talk about our victory over Norwich City at Carroll Road, in which we won 3-2. And before we do go into, into the game summary on that, um, is there any news? I, I don't think there is anything major between since we last recorded. I can't think of anything. No. There was the guy, Bell, who, the commercial guy, left the club, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Which kind of suggests that the 49ers are kind of slowly working through the business, aren't they? And, you know... Mm-hmm. And, and and beefing up asses, the uh, beefing up beefing up the back office functions, I guess, which is, which has been promised, doesn't it? So, you know, watch this space and that stuff, see how that changes things. But that's it, really. So. Yeah, so that's about what I can think of. Um, obviously we've got we've got people returning from injury. I guess we could talk briefly about that. Uh, I think we've got Furpo, who's on his way back soon, um, but he's a week, a week, two weeks away. I think same for Spence. Um, but there was, there was someone who was back in training. I think it was Shackleton who was back in training. Yeah, he was on the bench, wasn't he, on Saturday, yeah. Shackleton? So Shackleton was on the bench, and I think for, I think Fark's line on Furpo and Spence was they were both training outside, but not everything. So I presume they're running, but maybe not playing contact games or something. I don't know. You know, that kind of thing. That's yeah, how I read that. that might, so. 
yeah, makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, but that's that. But that's about everything. So I'll dive straight into the game summary. So Leeds approached the game with their usual four-two-three-one-ish shape, with Norwich op- opting for a narrow four-four-two shape. At least that's the way I saw it. Um, Norwich quickly took the lead after four minutes with a Shane Duffy. With Shane Duffy scoring a glancing header from a set piece. Both Leeds and Norwich had spells of possession throughout the rest of the first half, with both teams pressed being unable to prevent the opposition progressing the ball, with Leeds having the best chances but being unable to convert them. Then in the 43rd minute, Gabriel Sara danced around Leeds players in the box and struck past Melier to make the score 2-0 to go into the second half. And in the second half, again, both teams had similar spells of possession with Norwich having slightly more possession, I'd say. However, Norwich were less able to get the ball to dangerous areas with their set of possession. And Leeds made good use of transitional attacks to create danger, with one of these transitional attacks leading to an own goal from Shane Duffy after Dan James put a hard cross into the box, which ricocheted off the goalkeeper and then hit Duffy and went in, making the score 2-1. Fark then made a raft of subs around the 70th minute, which he said changed our shape to a 3-5-2, with Bamford and Nonto coming on for Byram and Camera. Leeds dominated possession in this spell, with Norwich playing the ball long quite often, which we were able to wing back quickly. Leeds then equalised in the 77th minute from a set-piece routine, with Somerville scoring a wonder goal from the edge of the box. Uh, for the next 10 minutes, it was a very back-and-forth game with both teams trying to score. However, Norwich weren't able to create any chances, and Leeds were able to. And on the counter-attack, Somerville scored the winning goal in the 85th minute, and the game ended 3-2 to Leeds. So, yeah, was there anything I, I missed there? Not particularly, no. No, no, I think we should get on with the interrogation. Good Good stuff, good stuff. So we'll get into the interrogation. So we had a lot of questions about our press. So let's talk about it. So our press. Yeah. Why 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 do you think it wasn't very effective in this game? Well well I think we were kind of attempting quite a high press quite high at the pitch, weren't we? But it kind of felt like they were kind of half arsing it a bit. They weren't really like aggressively pressing all that well. So I mean what I would suggest is people go search out Tom Wilson, you know, focus on leads of this of occasionally of this parish. He put a really good video out of how Norwich broke Leeds' press and what you saw on that one was you saw a lot of situations where we were kind of leaving one of the centre-backs free and then Perot was kind of trundling over to that spare centre-back when he when the ball was received with that centre-back, trying to press him, obviously not being able to get there because he's not particularly mobile or quick. Then playing it out to the full-back where Dan James was kind of caught in no man's land between the full-back and the winger or, or the, one of the centre-mids. And it just seemed to be kind of a bit of a half-assed, you know, we were putting three, four players into the press and they were just and they were just dropping five players in and playing around us. And then by the time they got out of that kind of situation, we just had a massive open field with just, you know, our back four and and and, and perhaps one centre-mid trying to cover their whole team. So it, was just, it just seemed very, very, like a very passive high press, if that makes sense. That's how it seemed to me. And then, um, and yeah, just badly placed players. You know, I, I kind of think if you're going to do that kind of press, you either leave one centre-back free and mark everybody else and cut his options off, or you go genuinely man-to-man on each centre-back and really squeeze them and, and make the keeper play long down the pitch. And it kind of it felt like we got caught between the two ideas, really, and it just kind of didn't work. It's The biggest problem seemed to be down the left, so they were getting out through Gibson, mm. who was kind of playing round, you know, like playing round Perot and, and Dan James on that, that kind of our right-hand side, if you like. Yeah. That, a lot of that adds up with, with my, my observations. Um, there was quite often getting it to um, there on El Hernandez on their on their left side, and he was dropping deep. Um, Gray was following him deep, and but he was able to just whip, whip it around into the space behind Gray. And a few times you saw their left back uh, Janulis 
who was attacking that space quite well. So yeah, they they were able to get through the press quite easily. And I think a big part of why it wasn't effective was uh, Joel Perot. Um, it has to be said that he is a, a burden to the way we press. Um, it's not only in the way he presses, which isn't always the most intelligent. He doesn't always choose the right person to, to run towards or at the right moment. He's also just, he's not as quick as our other presses, which it means it's, it's a weak chain. And when you've got a, a high press, if you've got one part of it which isn't working well, it just, it takes the whole thing down. It's, it, it gets made pointless. I would say he is the big, he's a big problem and a consistent problem with our press. I absolutely totally agree with that. But I kind of thought like, 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 like some of them, Dan Jane's got, got caught in between like fullbacks and wingers and between centre backs and fullbacks quite a lot. And they were able to be played around as well. So I thought the positioning of our wingers didn't help either. So we had like, it was kind of broken in two ways. But yeah, I agree. Perot's a weak link in that respect. But I do also think that we do need to give Norwich some credit. They were. Pretty clever at the way they were moving around players yeah. at times. There were, yeah, our press wasn't all that effective, but the way there was the that dynamic on their left side was quite good, and the Janulis made his movements quite well when when James wasn't paying attention, which meant that he, he had he had total free reign to get down that side. So yeah, I think you do have to give them some credit, but I think it was mainly because. It just wasn't that great. Stuck between two different ways, like you said. It was a passive high press, which is just <laughs> never going to work. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, it was not good. Um, just uh, But as a follow-up, as a bit of a wider stance of it, do you think in general our press is becoming a problem, especially against teams who can play good football? And how, can we, how do you think we could fix this? Yeah, I just don't think we're a good high press team. But I think we're kind of fairly good if we sit in a mid-block and set kind of traps and, and a press like aggressively from mid-block mid block position. So I would just kind of play to your strength and just do what we're good at and just try and shuttle, you know, like, you know, kind of show show the opposition teams into blind alleys where we are good at pressing and are good at winning duels and then try and, you know, and do it and win, win ball kind of from a mid-block and a slightly more aggressive mid-block press, which is kind of, I think, when the games, when we have defended well and have, and have uh, and the presses seem to have worked, it's been from those situations. So I would just say I wouldn't go high until until we ever learn how to go high better or we get players that are better suited to that, you know, in a, in a couple of transfer windows time. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think also it could be helped with if we tr- decided to try out Bamford right over Perot for some games yeah. against against the better teams in the, the division. Like in the mm. the upcoming game against Leicester, um, especially is one which I think we could do with trying that out. Um, because if we do just allow them to have the ball, I think they'll be able to play around our mid-block quite well as well. So I think, mm. we, I think we will need to put on some pressure on, onto them. And yeah. that is one thing that we can do to improve it because Bamford is probably our best presser. Um, and if we had to have him alongside Ruter and James, that would be a quite a aggressive pressing unit. And yep. it would make teams struggle to deal with it. So I think that is one of the solutions that we could have. But it doesn't seem likely that that's going to happen. I, th- I think Fark seems pretty set on having the Perot-Ruter dynamic and I can't see that being changed. Do you think he would change that up? No, I think he's pretty well set. I mean, if if he is going to be set, he just needs to work out a way to use Perot um, and we have to just give him a fairly simple pressing tax, you know, uh, that he can handle. So, yeah, I mean, I would like to see him play a more of a horses-for-courses type team, but I just don't think he's is minded to do that at all. So I think he's going to go with Perot and, and, and Rutter as long as they're both fit and playing pretty well. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, so ne- next question, there were, were some narratives around that we were quite bad in possession in the first half 
and struggle to deal with Norwich's press. Um, I'll quickly touch on that before I hand over to you. Mm. Um, so I, I didn't agree with this narrative overall in, in general. I felt in the first half we did quite well in, um, in progressing the ball through the thirds and we created chances which we could have scored from quite a lot of chances. Uh, we we could have been three goals up by half time if we would have handled the situations better and were a bit more clinical in the finishing, especially the ones from Perot and Camara. Both yeah, of those, agree. yeah, both those two could have been goals easily. And there's also another few situations which didn't quite result in shots. Um, ones where I think where Somerville got into a decent position, um, but sort of just dallied a little bit too long on the ball, and then the ball was one off him. Yeah, I think it's that sort of a transition attack which he, he came came down the left and there was passes open to the side but he held on to it a little bit too long and yeah, that was another good chance. So I, th- I think we made plenty of chances in this game and there's actually also a question about this from basically a tuner on, on Twitter which I'll just merge into this question if I think. And so what is our build-up play missing, he says. We are unbeatable in any transitional moments but teams that won't come out and play like Norwich, we do struggle a little bit. So I'll, I'll ask you first on this one. What, what do you think to this? I think this has been a little bit of a problem this season. Um, and But but generally speaking, teams all struggle against low blocks. I mean, it's, the low blocks are there for a reason, right? It's, it's, they're difficult to break down. But I, I, I'm starting to get the vibe that Leeds are getting better in this respect. And, that, and I, fancy, I fancy us to kind of create chances against any kind of block at the moment in this division. I think we're starting to see the kind of better cohesion and understanding de- developing between like the likes of Rutter and Somerville and James and those guys. So I don't think the low block thing is going to be a particular problem for Leeds going forward. It will occasionally be difficult because they are occasionally difficult by, by, by design. But like, like I say, I don't think we're specifically hindered by it more so than, than, than Leicester or Ipswich or anybody else that's decent and the division would be hindered by it. Yeah. So I think it's a narrative that was, that's built up that's fair enough, but I'm starting to get the vibe that we're going to be okay against it. So no. I think we're going to be we're a great transition team, and I think we're fine against a low block team. If that makes sense, yeah, yeah, that that does, that does make sense. And of course, all teams are going to be better attacking in transitions than hmm. than against any any kind of block. Um, it's by its very nature, a transitional attack is where you catch the team when they're not set for defending. So it's going to be easier, and we've got players who can attack that that very well because they've got pace, they've got dribbling skill, so they're going to be able to attack those foundational moments very well. I mean, this is why I would I would prefer, in terms of the press, that we go with that kind of mid-block anyway and just and just be better at kind of generating those transitions from that kind of aggressive mid-block rather than the high the high press. So I just think, you know, winning the ball in the halfway line in, in, a, in a disrupted game state suits our attackers really well anyway, so why not maximise those, those, those situations, really? I would definitely agree. Um, if, if we can switch the pressing up a bit, that will definitely help our Transitional attacking yeah. as well. If we can, if we can generate more of those moments, then yeah, that would would be good. Uh, but moving on to a bit of a more player specific question, it's that time again where we question why Archie Gray has played another ninety minutes so soon after playing three full nineties of the international break. This was something that Fark spoke about in the um, the question the presser before, uh, saying that he wouldn't have liked to have played as much of what he did. But he also still mm. made him play the full ninety minutes. So, yeah. what do you make of this? Well, I don't think he's got a lot of choice, has he? Because the other right backs are a disaster, aren't they? <laughs> the club. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, it gets fixed when Spence is fit and hopefully playing to the level that me and you think he can play at. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure he's got a lot of choice, which is which is harsh. I mean, perhaps if Furpo gets fit and Spence gets fit, then Archie Gray can be rotated with with 
with um, with Spence at right back or with Kamara in centre mid, and we use him more sparingly. So hopefully that does happen soon. But I think at the moment, I don't know if Fark's got a lot of choice really. Otherwise, playing Ailing and you know that wasn't that wasn't working too well, was it? <laughs> no, it was. It certainly was not. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I, I would agree that there isn't too much choice as to what we can do at the moment, and. I think it is, there is possibility that he, he could play Shackleton over Gray and let him, yeah, have, let him have a little bit of a break um, from playing as often as what he does. Or, I, I, even if he doesn't have to make him play the full 90 minutes, um, we can bring players off, off the bench and try, try them instead because we had Shackleton on the bench in, in the last game who we could have brought on instead. And yeah. So there, there have been ways around it and... I just don't want to break the lad because he's he's coming on. I'm, I'm, I am really enjoying the way he's playing at right back, and I would probably say he is my favourite choice there. And it's not even yep. his natural position, but he he was just really good in this game, and especially with his one v one defending again. I think he had I think it he had to defend a lot of one v ones as well, and I think it was around eighty percent of the one v ones he was successful in those battles. And he was up against an experienced player in Onel Hernandez, who has been around this division for a long time now. I know, I know he's getting on a bit, but he still barely barely was beaten. And he, yeah, he's still a good player, even for his age. I thought he had a couple of moments early in the game where it looked a little bit, you know, oh, I'm in for a game here. Perhaps got beat early on, but I think as the game went on, he just kind of dominated, didn't he? And by the second half, he was totally dominant, I think. Aren't you great? Whereas first, first half, more of a contest, if you like. But yeah, yeah, and Jules is great in Jules, isn't he? Because he's obviously he's got a great frame, hasn't he? And he uses his body well, he's well balanced, isn't he? And he's strong and he's fast. Just a really good kind of all-round athletic frame. And kind of knows how to yeah. use it, doesn't he? For a kid. And uh, he's got a very, very good timing of his challenges as well. Yeah. That's one thing which I think helps him a lot. And I think I've just looked up the numbers. Um, he had eight uh, duels in this game and he won seven of them. So that's that's phenomenal work. That's sort of, and in total, he had 11 tackles and interceptions combined. Which And the closest to that was Dan James with three. So... He he put in a lot of work in this game. Um, there were there were a few moments where where Hernandez sucked him in too deep, but I think that was a team instruction because Byron was doing it on the other side. So uh, that was the only thing you can move say. But that was a tactical instruction more than anything, I think. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember saying this on the the preview preview pod that the wingers play quite narrow at Norwich, don't they? And they run into the midfield and almost become kind of tens, don't they? And in yeah. the attempt to drag the fullbacks. And I think we were falling for that, weren't we? First half for sure, Definitely. second half less so. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's a couple of times actually Gray kind of came charging all the way in. A little bit like um, Ailing used to do under BLC kind of thing when he following his marker. And then, yeah, I think second half that stopped. So Yeah, it was, it was definitely better in the second half. No, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. So we'll move on to another question we had from Louis Herbert on Twitter. Um, and they yeah. said, what did we do out of possession in the second half that made Norwich look so much less dangerous, particularly while we were in the revolutionary 3-1-6 formation? Um, so Dan, what, what do you have to say on this? Well, there's, there's something about the, the press second half, and I said we kind of we were better second half. I don't know if I said it, but I think we were better second half when we kind of dropped off and it was more of an aggressive mid-block. So I thought we started getting more aggressive in our duels and a more aggressive... Give a few more fouls away, but like there was, there was definitely like an up in intensity. Um, second half, it seemed to be to me just just from watching the game. But one thing is our wingers dropped off and they were protecting the fullbacks more, and the fullbacks were not following the runner so much. So it just felt like from a general shape, it was more of a mid block, but more of an aggressive. You know, when 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 the 
when they came into our zone, if you like, then then we got quite aggressive with them and quite you know and and turn turn more ball over ball over mid in the midfield. So I just thought there was a better general kind of approach and shape second second half before all the subs came on, all the crazy forward subs came on. So that was a factor, and I think Leeds getting a bit more of a foothold in the kind of higher up the pitch. And mm-hmm. I thought we were just kind of like I say a little bit more aggressive, but less less stretched because it was more like a mid block. So I just think it worked in our favour. Um, and the other thing is, I think Norwich just basically once we scored that 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 goal, the the own goal, well, that's the oxymoron, isn't it? We can't score the own goal, but once the own goal was scored, um, Norwich like stacked it, didn't they? I just thought they kind of yeah. panicked and backed off. Um, I was really like they, they were they were rubbish once we scored. They were pretty good until we scored, and then they weren't. So I don't know. That's just a. A physical drop off that they were knackered from being quite aggressive with us first half. Maybe they couldn't sustain that, or perhaps just mental because they've they've had a bit of a bad form recently. Um, so yeah, those two things occurred. I think I think we our approach improved, and when we got some results from that, they stacked it basically. And then you know, um, then once we made all the subs, it was just vibes, wasn't it? And just kind of overwhelming pressure. I mean, the, the quality of player we had in the pitch just kind of overwhelmed them, didn't it? Really, I think. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with what you said there. Both the change to the more aggressive mid block rather than a high press um, definitely made a difference. But yeah, the overriding thing for me was how bad Norwich were after the on goal happened. Um, they really seemed shell shocked by that, and it's kind of like a, a collective dropping of head heads. And rather than playing through our press like they were, they were going long over it more often, which our centre backs can handle all day long. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There was one moment I noticed. Yeah, the one moment in the first half I noticed, like, Ampadu shouting at Dan James to get back in a position. And in front of um, in front of Archie Gray, is it Archie Gray? Yeah, mm. and, and it was just protecting, just about protecting him. It was just about that. I think that was just instructive that Ampadu was telling him in the second half to get back and protect him in the whole position, not charge forward. And obviously, it's something they talked about. It felt like something they talked about. And all of a sudden, Ampadu's telling Dan James to get in the position, hold himself. And I just felt like we won so many balls on the halfway line. The ball would, like, say, would be chipped in long, and then we'd win it from that duel. Yeah. And I did wonder if if Pascal if the back line stood up and played a bit higher up second half. Now I couldn't tell from the view of we had 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 of the game, but I'd love to see a tactical cam to see if the back four were kind of squeezing the pitch more, so we're kind of like just compressing everything. That was that's just a theory in my head. I don't know if that's actually what happened, but you know, just a thought. I don't know. No, I didn't notice too much about that, um, but it's quite possible. Um, we did, yeah, did, did, you couldn't, did couldn't see seem, it from the, the camera. Yeah, yeah, we did definitely seem to win it more often around the halfway line. So that would make sense. Yeah. 
so that would also happen. Um, but on a similar vein, um, it's kind of a follow-on from the previous. We had a question from our long-time listener, Richard Lang. He says, please tell me how a three-five-two works with the back three, including only two defenders and one midfielder, and the five, including three wingers, one striker, and only one actual midfielder. So I'll quickly talk about this. So I think, like we mentioned in the answer to the previous one, the reason why it was, was first of all because Norwich were stacking it because we scored. And when we made that change around that same time, like, I think the subs were waiting to come on as the goal was being scored, the hour on goal. So that helped us big time. Um, but I also feel that with the amount of players we had in the forward area, it made things more difficult for Norwich as well at the same time. Um, we were able to get more bodies around their, their build-up areas and fresh players as well who were fa- faster in the press at closing them down and this could have forced these areas in playing it long more often. So I feel that's the reason why it worked. And also, of course, because the players who we were bringing on were all quality players. We were bringing on Nonto, we were bringing on Bamford, who's a pressing machine as it is, so he will have helped with the press to unnerve them. And... Then we brought on Jaden Anthony as well. So, yeah, it, it worked just because of how much quality we brought on and how nervous Norwich were at that point. Mm. Do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, not really. I mean, just, just I was watching late on and looking at how we were kind of our rest defence was. And kind of Archie Gray, for the most part, was holding, wasn't he, like in the back three. And Ampadu was there in the middle, so it was like a three-one kind of rest defence. But but quite often someone got back in and helped Ampadu. Or they were pretty quick to get back and help him. Um, whoever that was, you know, maybe Dan James would get back around or something and sit in there. So it was quite often there was still there was still four or five in the midfield, you know, it was and, and we we're pretty good at getting rest defence players back. So I don't think it really we massively suffered on the counter with all these four players on. I don't think there wasn't really too much difference. I think the rest defence was still probably the same amount of numbers as what we yeah. would normally have. So yeah, I'd, I, it should, wouldn't shouldn't have made too much difference. Of course. Um, Ampadu did have more space to cover, but Norwich were retreating a little bit at the same time, so they didn't have as many men committed forward. So I think a combination of all those things is why it did work. Um, but yeah, we'll move on to another question about set-piece trending. So this is something that we haven't had to talk about too much this season. So do you think the set-piece are becoming a problem again, or do you think this is just a one-off? I've been fairly confident with our set pieces this season generally. So my my answer right now is a one-off, but like watch, see how it goes. Maybe maybe Norwich identified a weakness in our set piece defending that hasn't been identified before. So I think the 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 goal in the on three minutes, whatever it was, it was it was kind of like a near post run, wasn't it, from um, the centre back Duffy? Yeah. Sorry, his name left left me there. And I think Perot let him go. So I think it was just an error from Perot. I think I think Perot was marking him, and he just kind of charged forward and Brodin followed him properly. I think that was it, really, and a fairly good, and it was a glancing header. The only other thing is maybe Melier gets a little bit of criticism for kind of collapsing under the, under the save, but it was really close to him and really high speed. So, you know, I think I'm being overcritical there. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if we if we just if we just if we kind of lose out with this kind of move in the future, then yeah, perhaps it's something to worry about. But I think generally speaking, I'm happy with how we defend set pieces, and I think generally speaking, we've got pretty good aerial players in there, in, in particularly with the centre backs. Yeah. Um, and Perot, generally speaking, is quite good in the air, isn't he? He's quite a big boy. Indeed he is. And just to look over the actual numbers from this season as to mm. how much XG we're putting up against us for set pieces. And we've only put up 2.53 
XG from set pieces all season, which is the one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh best in the league. So we've had to be conceded. We've conceded three goals from two, yeah. from 2.5 free XG. So yeah, that the worst team in the league by comparison is Birmingham, who have put up 5.6 XG against them. And I think Norwich are also quite good at generating set piece at XG. Um, right. See, they are the third best in the league at generating set, set piece at XG. Um, so yeah, they, so it's a combination of the, that, them being good and maybe doing something specific on the training ground. Maybe they know it's a weakness there. One of their analysts saw that the, there's this weakness in near post defending. So yeah, I'd, I would agree with you that it wasn't too much of a big thing to worry about at the moment. And just see. I mean, they generated point two from that move, so it's quite a good move. Yeah, so it's not quite a big chance, but it's pretty big. So you know, credit to Norwich really for the delivery and the the run from Duffy. Yeah, I, I'd maybe question the that, that I saw the not point two actually for that, and I saw that seemed a bit high to me. Um, yeah, to be honest, yeah, because yeah, it, yeah. because it's a header and it wasn't central or anything like that. It was reasonably tight angle. I, I felt it was outside the frame of the goal, wasn't it? And it yeah. was flicked. Back back towards the goal, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that was, I think it was maybe a, a smaller chance than what it looked, and I can see the what people are saying about Melier, but I think with the speed of the ball that he was coming at, it was very difficult to do too much about it. To be honest, it would have just been a reaction throwing his arm out and getting lucky. I think to save that one, I just I just felt he collapsed a bit, but yeah, like you say, had he got had he got a really good powerful jump on it, I still don't think he'd have got there in time. Probably not, but it's just worrying that he didn't even get a jump. If that makes sense, yeah, that's the only thing. But I don't think it makes a difference to the goal. I think the goal goes in. It'll be some kind of well, world-class save if it didn't. But, I mean, just looking at the chat, looking at XG, um, FB ref, that chance is to 0.21 going to F- FB ref. Now, the Glenn Kamara chance is 0.13 yeah. in the first half, and the Parole one's 0.18. Now, they feel about right, 1.3, 1.18. Yeah, and that 0.21 does feel a bit high. Yeah, if you compare it to those, those, those two chances, because... Perros was quite quite central, and he was nearly one on far out. nearly one on one with the goalkeeper. Yeah, he's quite, quite far out. Was the only thing was yeah. the edge of the box. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, um, and then the splitting hairs. Then the but, but, yeah, but, but yeah, and just only one final thing that that isn't on the run order, so I apologise for surprising you with this. Um, but I haven't I've been in a pub with you too much recently, and I was quite to have a quick chat about Georgie Rutter with you. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so much fun, isn't it? What do you know? What I'm really really enjoying. Is how he's using his. He's always had these like great skills, hasn't he, and ability to carry the ball and, and tricks. And he's obviously full of confidence. But I'm really like loving how he's using his body, and he's kind of using a trick and then getting his body between the ball and the and the, the defensive player. And he's winning free kicks, isn't he? And so it's kind of like it's, it's this developing hold up play, isn't it? He's developing that hold up play. I just, I just like I say, if he off, if he just adds goals to his game, like then we're losing him for for a lot of money <laughs> very soon. Yeah, a lot of money. Yeah, if, if we, I mean, if we go up and he produces anything like the sort of performance we think we could. Yeah, I think we'll be selling him for a lot of money. I generally think he's that good. Just like I say, it's just goals, isn't it? He just needs to add a few more goals to his game. Yeah, that is one thing that I will agree. His uh, his finishing yeah. does need work, and but the his general all round centre forward play and yeah. his total game aside from that is just you, you can't pick fault with it at the moment. Um, and it just creates so much for the team. And just that that move late on, um, not long after we went ahead. I think it was around the 88th minute, which I think won the one, won the one which the club shared. Was I've done it? I've watched it a few times, and just, he barely does anything to 
make to do that move. It just sort of, sort of moves his body around a bit, but he doesn't actually touch the ball, and then he just suddenly moves about one time, and then away he goes. And well, and, well, he draws the foul later and just up the field. Yeah, on yeah. the guy that one. Yeah, who was that player? Was that McLean? I couldn't pick him out. Anyway, yeah, it was great, isn't it? So he's just do, he's doing those things now. I mean, <laughs> the only thing is like. Like isn't I don't think he's he's not naturally running into great goal scoring positions, is he? That's what he doesn't do. He's not really that player. Now, I mean, can you think of anybody like him in terms of style, like this kind of creative, facilitating centre forward like him? There's not very many out there. Um, the only one which was one which Fark talked talked about when he was talking about um, Perot and Rutter in that 13 minute long answer when he was talking about Perot and mm. why he plays him at 10 was um, Marcus Taram, who played at Gladbach. Um, he was that yeah, that that yeah, okay. that, yeah, yeah. that that kind of striker who can who can create as much as he scores. So yeah, there's there's not many of them out there who are the you'd say the complete <laughs> forward. And there's not very there's not very many of them out there who can create as much as what they attack. I guess you could maybe I'll say Harry Kane is a different sort of creativity. Creativity. He's more of his passing, and Rutter is yeah. more he's more of his dribbling movements and just general movement with the ball, which helps to make space and get, give the other players around him more space to work into because he attracts so many players to him. But yeah, there's not very many of them out there. I keep thinking about like wingers that have been converted to forward successfully. And a good recent example of, of a, is Ollie Watkins, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Who's done it, gone, gone from a winger as, um, as a centre forward, from a winger to centre forward at Brentford. He had a year doing it in the championship. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to, I, I think there was probably a little bit of an adaptation period where, you know, Watkins would naturally run rock run wide and pick up kind of winger positions, which we do see Ruter doing. But the, I mean, the different players out there, Ruter's way more creative than Watkins ever was. Uh, but Watkins has developed into a really good kind of like lead, leading the line, kind of centre forward, doesn't he? Nine now, he's just a genuine nine. So, but I just, I just wonder about that kind of, that, that transition from winger to forward and in time, you know, maybe second season, maybe third season of, of him doing this, we might see him hold that central line a bit more and get into, get, get onto the end of more things. But I do think he's naturally going to be a, a creative forward rather than a goal scoring forward his whole career but we might see him get into those more goal scoring positions and you know maybe just bounce off a little bit more yeah bounce off a little bit in that respect yeah i'd agree with that i think that i don't think you you want to take too much out of, of that out of his game the, no. the, the the movement around things that keeps opponents guessing so much and it, since it's such a unique profile to have for a, for a center forward it's yeah something that you don't, you don't want to take too much away, but yeah, I would agree that I would like to see him occupying more central spaces and making more runs beyond the final man. But it's working, so I'm I'm not yeah. I'm not going to be complaining too much about that little aspect of it because I think we we probably need to go out and recruit at some point a more of a goal scoring winger like a wide forward that comes in a lot and scores a lot of goals like a Jared Bowen type or something, don't we? You know. Try and find that sort of player because if we're going to have Somerville and Rutter are both creative players, we probably need that kind of more direct direct frame behind, don't we, from the other winger? So that's, that's possibly something to recruit for, or or even like a like a ten, like an old old fashioned like kind of box crashing attacking midfielder rather than a creative ten. Maybe I don't know to run past. It's possible, but I think at the moment yeah. I, th- I think Somerville is going to be that guy because um, yeah, he's yeah. he is currently. I put up something just before the international break on Twitter about this, but yeah. he's in the 99th percentile for both shots and XG amongst wingers. So that's that's across all the, the leagues below the big five, I believe that data set is. So that'll be like your, your um, Eredivisie and the um, Portuguese league and the other ones along that, that, that kind of level. So he... 
he's getting into a lot of good good positions, and I think it, it's, it's working well in this. And obviously, this most recent game is a prime example of that. The start of yeah, I, I think it was more due to the way the places where he was carrying the ball than the movements that he was making. But no matter the way it happens, it's it's working at the moment. And if he can keep keep it up, he could have a very high scoring season this year. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I could see some of it already getting into the goals now. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No reason to see him get beyond 10 goals, at least. Yeah, I could see that. And, you know, in, in, into the teams, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Which I think would be a good return for a winger. Indeed, it would. Indeed. Um, I think we're towards the end there, unless you've got anything that you want to talk about before we go. Nothing major. No, just, just I'll tell you what, what, a player I enjoyed for Norwich and uh, worth picking out and one to watch, I think, for the future is uh, Gabriel Sara for, for the midfield. A really good performance. I mean, he took that goal, their second goal, really well. Um, and just a really, really interesting player. He seems to be a bit of playing like at all heights in the midfield. Like, you know, obviously he gets into attacking situations, but he gets involved in build up. He's good kind of physically with the English game, which is unusual for a guy who's come from, has he come straight from Brazil? Can't remember. Yes, he did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's just, yeah, just a really, a really, really fun player and one to watch. And, you know, I, I can see, I can see a Premier League club taking a chance at him in a year or so. I would agree. Um, he was fantastic in, in this game. Um, we re- really struggled to deal with him. Um, his ball control and manip- manipulation of space is great. And that was exemplified by by the goal um, because he just made our defenders look shambolic. And yeah, the defending wasn't great, but also the ball control from him was just ne- next level good. So yeah, I could see him being picked up. But yeah, I think that's about everything. Um, before we go, um, Tom Alderson would shout at me if I did not talk about the Patreon. Uh, so throughout the season, we've been putting out bonus content via our Patreon platform. Patreon is a media platform which you can show support to creators you enjoy and receive bonus content in return. We put out Patreon-only podcasts and analysis articles. There's been fewer of those recently. We do apologize. We haven't had time with the double headers happening so often, but we will try to get some more out. And our patrons also get our podcasts ad-free, plus early access to our preview pods. Um, Me and Dan have got a bonus pod coming up quite soon. The under twenty ones pod, the second episode in that. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Dan? Yeah, yeah. So I think we're looking at we're just going to look at the fixtures we've had since the last pod and uh, been a bit up and down actually since we spoke fairly positively in the last pod about the team, which is sod's law, isn't it? And I think we're going to pick out a player. Uh, we're going to talk about Charlie Crew, I think, aren't we? In that game and on that pod, so we do a bit of a preview of Charlie Crew and just talk about what sort of player he is, what he's good at, what he needs to work on, that kind of thing, what his chances are of making it with the first team anytime soon, that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, look out for that in the next week or so. Yep. So if you've got interest in the under-21s and specifically uh, Charlie Crew, if you are Welsh, he is a Welsh um, under-19 international. So yeah, yeah, that's another one for you to look out for. And if you want to access this content, you have, would have to sign up at patreon.com forward slash A-S-A-W Patreon. And that would be only on the Pablo tier, which the bonus pods appear, just so you know. But yeah, that's everything for today. Before we go, I'll say thank you very much to Dan. You're welcome, mate. It's been fun. Indeed it has. And thank you all for listening. See you next time. Bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.